purposes and, and such around church that helps us to not see church like that. It's not, church is not, it's not a business, you know, it's not a place you just go and, you know, do a sweet guitar riff. On, no, that's not what the church is supposed to be, is it? And Jesus has led us and Jesus has spoken to us and given us what the church is to be like. And so we're talking about that during this, this series and I'm really excited for it. And so, well, before I, I kind of begin today, I, I want to just see this morning, I, I grew up in church. And how many of you grew up in church in your life? Yeah, many of us did. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you didn't grow up in church, uh, this next thing you'll be like, well, I had friends that did, so that was true. If you did, you'll relate to this. But there's a couple of things that if you grew up in church that are just different about your life than the friends who did, right? There's just things that are just different. For instance, uh, if you grew up in church, you could not sleep in on Sunday mornings, right? Which is unfortunate because your friends all did. So if you went out on Saturday night to a movie and you got you get, you know, it's late, you got home, and you're downstairs in your room or upstairs, whatever, and you're sleeping, and your mom comes in, and your dad says, get up. There's no option to that, right? You know, like, everybody else gets to sleep in on Sundays, but not us. And, and I remember as a kid being like, it's not fair. I'm sure at one point I told my mom, I said, mom, I'm not going today. Uh, that wasn't an option in our house. Let's just be honest with you. And so, you know, you, you couldn't sleep in on Sunday mornings. Also, if you grew up in church, what's different is you had way more dress clothes than everybody else. Now, back in the day, uh, you know, people don't dress as much for church anymore, which, frankly, I'm kind of thankful for. I'm just not a dressy guy. If you are, it's great. I, I'm, you know, it's, I, I like that, but I'm just, just not. Um, but when I was a kid, we did that, and I had way more dress clothes than everybody else did. I mean, my friends had like one suit and maybe one pair of khakis for funerals and weddings, and I had like a closet full, you know, because you just, that's what you did as a kid is you, you, you dressed up and go to church. And so that's kind of how it was back when I, when I was younger. Another thing is you come into contact with words nobody else does, right? You know, words like deacon and words like potluck, you know, and words like covenants, you know, what kid knows those words? The other morning, uh, we're going through my daughter's tea or JBQ with Green Bible Quiz, a little plug there for the kids. It's a great thing for kids to learn scripture and such. And so we're going through that for breakfast the other morning. And my daughter says, Daddy, I know what covenant means. And so I said, you do? And she's seven. And so I said, well, what is it? So she explains covenant in like perfect form. You know, and I was like, the theologian inside of me was like, way to go, sweetie. But then the rest of me thought, what seven-year-old knows what covenant is? You know, like, seriously, she knows what the word covenant. Uh, and so, you, you know, so you, you know those things. You know potluck. You know, you know if you, you grew up in church, you, you know that. You know what, what foods to get and what foods to avoid, too, right? Like, if you're a potluck person, you know those things. You also uh, probably actually love when Bible trivia comes on TV, right, or comes to school or whatever. I remember it when I was in sixth grade reading class, Mr. Stupar, and he asked some question. I don't know what it was, but he went to Monticello back years ago. You probably had Mr. Stupar or something. And, and, and he, he said a question, and, and it was like, who's the oldest man in the Bible? I don't know how it got to that. And everyone in class said Moses, including the teacher. And I remember being like, yes, I'm going to get this one. I'm, gonna, I'm sitting in my hands waiting for everybody to finish the thing. And no one said it, so I said, actually, Moses is not the oldest man in the Bible. Methuselah was. And so the teacher was like, who's Methuselah? And, and I said, look it up. And so, back, of course, you pull it at Google, right? You know, no, they didn't have that back then. But he looked it up. The next day came back and said, Steve was right. There is a guy named Methuselah. And he was the oldest man in the Bible. And I was like, cha-ching, church kid. That's right. You know, and so um, you also, if you grew up in church, you had a deep appreciation for cheap, weak orange Kool-Aid and old cookies, right? Like you just did, you know? And how many love those things, right? You know, like seriously, those are the best. And so uh, sometimes, you know, we don't do that much anymore, but, you know, I'll give my kids weak orange Kool-Aid. I'll say, when I was a kid, we drank this every Sunday in Sunday school, so you better like it. But um, you, you probably, even though you grew up in church, you've been around church much of your life, if you haven't been around church, much. Again, you probably knew your friends who lived like that. You thought, well, now it makes more sense. But you know, if you grew up in around church, been around, you, you probably, though, haven't considered a whole lot of the why behind why church exists, right? 
Most of us don't. We just kind of go. We, we go because we go. We go because our we're friends do. We're, we're Christians and, and such. And so we're, we're walking through some of those things right now. And again, this day and age, this time, this season of, of the history of the world is an interesting time because there are a lot of believers, a lot of Christians who are a little much like the world in that they are looking at their church experience through the eyes of a consumer rather than through the eyes of a believer. And, and that's what we're kind of working through and, and, and hitting through this, this series. And so we're, we're walking through that. And, and our, our purpose as a church is quite simple. It's to, make, it's to make it simple for people to find and follow Jesus. Why we exist. It's who we are. It's what God has called us to do. And, and there's, there's a lot of churches that want to do those kind of things, all right? Like most churches say, it's all about Jesus. We want people to follow him and find him. But what separates churches that want to do those things and the churches that actually are able to is that there's an agreed upon way in which we start to kind of walk down that road. That we need the power of the Spirit and we need some unity around us to know and to help people to walk through those things. God has called us for a mission. I'm not preaching on that today. i got to stop because I'm going to get excited about that. But, you know, that's, that's our purpose. That's our call. And... and and, and we as a church have looked at a four-part strategy in how we actually do that, and that's to help people worship Jesus. Worshiping Christ is the most important thing a believer does, more important than anything else. You are called to be in God's presence. It's a wonderful gift. It's, it's an amazing thing. We want to lead people to the cross. Amen? That's our call. It's our, it's our goal. But we don't want to just, just do that. We also help people connect to Christ. You know, not just to sing and some nice little songs and, you know, play a guitar riff on stage. We want people to actually connect to Christ and connect in fellowship and relationships and, and friendships that are, are, are leading us closer to Christ. We're, we're called to help people grow deeply in their faith with Jesus. We're called to, to serve our, our world. And we band together and do these four things. I'm excited about this because... I'm going to kind of pause for a minute. There's a really cool thing we're about to do. If you're with us last year, you know we, we sent some money to Russia for some church planting. Well, the Russian church is growing, expanding so much that they've asked for more help. And so I am happy to tell you that the board on, uh, on Thursday night approved for us to send several thousand, two thousand dollars more over to Russia for church planting. And it can't be enough because this is what God's called us to do, Right? And your giving has allowed for that. Your giving causes that. And so that's a pretty great thing. We'll talk more about that at a later date and such. But just that was a little caveat of what God's doing in our church. We have given and we're able to give so much and, and things. And it's just a blessing to be able to do those things. But we band together to do this stuff. We talked about this last week how we as believers, we're better together. We can go faster and go farther when we go something together. And today's message is kind of centered around the two parts in the middle of our, our strategy, this, uh, the, the connect and grow part. Because again, as a church, we're called to something big, and we're called to something uh, amazing. And really, these two words have a lot to do with, with spiritual maturity, with helping people become mature believers. To not see what we saw on the screen a few minutes ago, but to be mature, strong believers. God's called us to help people to do that, and, and spiritual maturity really has a lot to do with growing up in faith. Now, now here's the truth today. Faith is only as good as your willingness to apply it, right? As good as your willingness to apply it. In, in other words, today, let's say um, I came to a bridge, and there's actually a big, beautiful bridge in northern Michigan called the Mackinac Bridge. It's five miles long. It spans the upper peninsula to the lower peninsula. And it's why uh, UP people call lower prince people, they call them trolls because they're under the bridge. But that's the whole thing. I was a troll at one time. I was in Michigan for many years. But uh, this bridge, it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's large. It's expansive. But there's a lot of people that are scared of it and refuse to go across it. And so if you come to this bridge and you look at it and say, man, that bridge is wonderful. That bridge is beautiful. What a, what a, what a, what a feat of man's uh, engineering ability. It's, it's an awesome bridge. You come to that and you say, I have all faith in that bridge. You can do that and you can say that, but 
went, but your ability to step out onto the bridge and actually start using it shows where your faith is, right? If you're, you can say you believe, but unless you actually do what you believe, those are two very different things. And really, spiritual maturity has a lot to do with that. Taking what we say and what we believe and actually putting it into practice. Now, how many of y'all know that's weird? That's not normal, right? That's why people, that's why we laugh today because, man, growing up as a believer or being a believer is not like everybody else is. And frankly, that's, I think, kind of a good thing, you know? You know? But it's not an easy task or an easy thing. We have struggles. We have difficulties. We have things that we have to come up against, bridges or, or struggles to come up against, and they are stretching our faith, and mature faith is able to walk through those things, and we're called to, to live like that. Living like Christ has called us to live is not easy. It's not natural. Natural is sin-filled. It's fear-filled. It's selfish. It's all these things. What Christ has called us to is not natural. Nothing new, really. Our text today is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, open there today. We're going to read through the kind of the first half of this, this chapter. And you might read this and say, what does this have to do with what we're talking about today? If that's your question, I'm glad you asked that. Trust me, it does. We're going to get to that in a moment. But I'm going to read this today, 1 Thessalonians 5, chapter, chapter 5, verse 1. Now concerning how, when all of this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything's peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin, and there will be no escape. Now again, this passage here is a very honest, very big, very strong reminder to people everywhere that you got you can look to what's happening around you and see the times and read the times and know things are happening. Now I know I'm not a, a an end times preacher. I'm not an end times expert. I don't have to be to look at the signs of the times, right? There's things happening around us. There's things happening in the world that are pointing us to the fact that we need to get ready. And how many of you know that it's not always the easiest thing to stand for Christ and be a believer in this world today, right? It's just not. And if you're not a believer today and you're here and you've been invited here, you might think, man, what did I walk into? Well, you walked into a church where we believe that God is ministering and, and working, has called us to something and called us to grow in faith. And it's, but it's not an easy thing nowadays. This passage illustrates that, that there's, that there's struggle involved with being a believer. Verse 4, he says, But you aren't in dark about these things, brothers and sisters. You won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you are all children of the light of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard. Do not sleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of salvation. So this passage is great because it establishes a problem, it establishes a solution, but then it establishes, if we continue here, a goal. And church, we have a problem to live as Christ has called us to live. It's not easy walking in faith. That's our problem. We have a solution by, because we can hear the gospel, we can hear the word, we, can, we walk with Christ, we walk with the Holy Spirit, we, we be on guard. That's our solution, but the end is a promise. It says in verse, verse 9, For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour his anger on us. How many of you are thankful for that this, this morning? Verse 10, Christ died for us, so that whether we are dead or alive, when he returns, we can live with him forever. This passage here, it gives us the problem, it gives us the solution, it gives us the goal. It says here, you have a goal, you have an end in mind. You need to finish well. You need to finish this race in a, in a, in a good way. And, and you, again, sense that there's struggle involved. And 
there's difficulty involved there. And like any job, it goes better when you have the right tools, right? Last few weeks, like months, I've just been chopping a lot of wood. And so my mom and dad's house, they had some trees down. And also, I've just, for some reason this year, I've gone much of my life with not chopping a lot of wood. For some reason this year, I'm just chopping a lot of wood. I was in my backyard this last week because I like to have fires with my neighbors. And so I held these big logs. I was chopping wood like an old school uh, woodsman, you know. And I just, I didn't do that much, but I do that more, a lot more now. And so... The other few months ago, when the, when the storm first happened, my brother and I were at my mom and dad's house cutting woods. Now, my dad has an awesome chainsaw. It's a 20-inch blade steel. It's a great saw. It's, it's, an, it's, a, it's, it's all metal. It's just a good, you know, it's a, it's a good saw that you want to have. You know, I have this little dinky 12-inch one. He's got a 20-inch one. It's great. And so my, my brother and I were using this saw to cut woods. We cut wood with it most of the day. And it got down towards the end of the day, we had a goal in mind to get through certain trees. And so at one point, the saw just started getting hard to use. You know, it was blue smoke coming out. It was just, you know, there was, we, there was, there was oil in the tank and there was gas, but it just wasn't working well. And I remember we're trying to cut and we're trying to work and we're trying to do this. And I would cut, I'd get tired, give it to him, and he'd cut He'd get tired, and we, we knew what the problem was, was that our blade was, was dull. But like any good royalty, we thought, we're just going to power through, right? We're just going to, you know, I don't want to go down to runnings and buy a new one. I don't want to go down to, you know, get it sharpened. I'm just going to power through on this thing. So we did this, and for the next couple hours, my brother and I together could not get through a couple pine logs because the saw was so dull. Now again, pine, you may know, is not very hard. It's very soft wood. It, you could just about cut it with a butter knife. But here we are with this big, powerful, wonderful 20-inch blade steel chainsaw, and we couldn't get through it. And again, like knuckleheads, we could have gotten in the car and drove down to Ace or drove down to Runnings and got a new blade, but we refused. We thought we can do it by ourselves and can get through this thing. So again, as he's, we're working and tired, and he's working, I'm tired and such, and finally we realized this is foolish. We're working hard, and we had all the right tools, we had all the right stuff, we had all the right things, we had a great plan, two strapping young men, you know, working on this tree, and we couldn't do it, all because we had a dull blade. If you think about it, a dull blade is actually more dangerous than a sharp one, isn't it? It really is. The truth is, is that we could have been done something really bad that day because we're cutting and the, 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 the saw is, you know, kicking back and it's, we're tired and I remember working, I'm so tired. It's just a dull blade's sharper or, or is, is more dangerous than, than a sharp blade. You cook, you know the same thing. Now, I don't cook. I have to use cutting wood to understand this because I don't cook. But, you know, if you're a cook, you know this works too. That if you have a dull knife, when you cut through whatever you're cutting through, it takes more effort to get through it. it, it you can get tired. It takes more work to get through your, your cutting because the blade is dull. And that, that's where you make mistakes. You want a sharp knife. You can have all of the best, the best knives you can have the best equipment, the best stuff, but if your blades are dull, you are in trouble. See, this passage here in 1 Thessalonians establishes the problem. You're worried right now. Establishes the problem. Actually, Jeremy's worried right now. It establishes the problem. It establishes the problem. But, it, but that's, the, that's the issue we're, we're, we're wrestling with this morning. We have something to get through. We have an issue to walk through, to finish the race well, to do what Jesus has called us to do, to live in, in victory, to, 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 to become mature believers, strengthened in our faith. That's our goal. But like anything, if you have a dull knife blade, you can have the best of knowledge, the best of resources, the best of preaching, the best church the best whatever, if you have any of those things, but, but your blade is dull, you're going to get tired, 
you're going to get careless, and you just might give up. I'll be honest with you, my brother and I gave up soon that day. But here's the, the best part, is that we came back later. I, I came back later, actually a couple weeks ago, I had a, a brand new, fully sharpened, carbide, carbide tip blade. I was like, we're not messing around. We bought this brand new blade, and I, I'll tell you what, I'm cutting through these logs like a hot knife through butter with the exact same abilities, the exact same knowledge, the exact same equipment. By myself, I finished what my brother and I couldn't do in hours because I had a sharp blade. There's a principle here that we have to understand this morning. You see, the reason that we talk about the part of the purpose of the church is for this very thing. We sharpen each other's blades. We sharpen each other's blades. And there's some people here today who are walking around with some dull blades. Look to your neighbor and say, quit being dull. No, you might be your spouse today, but no. Yeah, that, uh, the truth today is this. We sharpen each other. We sharpen each other. Now, to get the full understanding of this, we have to read the scripture. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Now, here's the deal with this. Is that as believers, we oftentimes forget what this passage fully speaks about. That it's not one blade that sharpens and such and such. It's that the blades sharpen each other. You have a sharp blade because you both are rubbing, because both blades are going, because both blades are working. We sharpen each other. Sometimes we look at this scripture, these things, and saying, we forget that there is a mutual thing that has to happen for this to actually work. And to get the full understanding of that, let's go back to the, the context of Proverbs and look at what's happening in the world at this time. Uh, to this point, to that point of the running of Proverbs, much of the world's uh, metals, much of the world's usage, usage of, of, of weaponry was all bronze. Bronze is soft. Bronze was readily available. But because of how much war and such was happening at this time, uh, bronze had run scarce. And there's plenty of iron out there. The problem was they just didn't have the resources and the technology to be able to use this until the Philistines came along. You ever wonder why were the Philistines so powerful? The reason is because the Philistines figured out how to use and how to make iron into weapons. It was like nuclear uh, knowledge nowadays. It was a well-kept secret. The reality is, is that they did not want anybody else to, um, to know how to make weapons out of iron. But several years later, just a couple years before this was written, somehow the knowledge of how to make weapons out of iron had leaked into Israel. And Israel started crafting this craft and learning how to develop weapons out of, of, of iron and, and such. And so what they did, and, and I researched this because I wasn't there, but the, this process was carried out in a few steps. First of all, there was the pounding of the sword with an iron hammer. They had to use iron because nothing else would work, so they literally had to pound iron with iron. Now again, you got to realize to this point, the thought of making iron with iron was absolutely foreign to them. But because the Philistines figured it out, they figured it out, and that's how they did it. Number two, they would use an iron file or an iron ore stone to create a razor-sharp edge on the end of a piece of metal. They would work it and work it and work it and work it. And there wasn't really any other way to do this outside of, of, of rubbing and rubbing and rubbing and rubbing until the edge of the blade had become sharp. Now, the deal is, too, if you can see, you can see my knife here, this is a church knife, and it's not very sharp. So don't worry down here because it's not very sharp. But you, you, what would happen oftentimes would be in battle, this edge would start to get less sharp. But if you, you can imagine that, and that's, where the term he's lost his edge comes from, it comes from the fact that this edge would wear down over time, and so they had to go back 
And they had to, once again, on a continuous basis, continue to go on and on and on the same process of iron sharpening iron. They didn't have miracle blades. They didn't have steel. They had iron. And so the only way this was possible would be to do this. When this passage is spoken, when, when years later, when King Solomon writes this down, he, there was an understanding in the world that when iron got with other iron, good things happened. Right? When iron sharpened iron, when iron got together, uh, this was as being the cutting edge of technology, pun intended. When iron sharpened iron, great things happened. So back to our text today in verse Thessalonians 5.11. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. Now, if you notice today, I skipped ahead to that passage because I asked you, you said, well, man, what does this have to do with we're talking about? This passage right here is the crux of the question. See, Paul establishes the problem. He establishes the solution. He establishes the goal. And the question would come is, well, how in the world do you do those things? We know how hard things get. We know how hard the world is. We know how different it is, how much of a struggle it is to be a believer, how difficult it is when people are around us, when we are consistently losing our edge in, the, in, the, in culture, when it's just hard sometimes to trust and believe how in the world are you supposed to get through this. Paul answers the question with this response. The sage advice from Paul said, encourage each other. How do you build, how do you iron, sharpen iron? How do you do this? How do you get through this? Well, you encourage each other and you build each other up. Just as you were already doing. See, Christians, we are sharpened in community. Now again, some of you might, might be saying here, well, that sounds great, but I'm not being sharpened. Or you can have all kinds of reactions to this passage. But the truth is this this morning. It doesn't matter always what our reaction to this. As long as our reaction is, God, that's what I need in my life. When we come and submit to the word, submit to the scripture, our question is, doesn't come, well, God, this doesn't work because no one cares about me or because no one loves me or because I come and I do this. No one seems to know I'm here. That doesn't make this true or not true. The scripture is true always. And so when Paul says these things, he says, how do you sharpen each other? He says, you encourage and build each other up. So what we're working to do in our church is building a culture where this is more than just talk, but actually has a place on our calendar, a spot on our strategy, and it becomes our culture. Because I have a strong belief that if our church's culture be one where we as believers are iron sharpening iron on a consistent basis, where it's not just talk, but there's action, there's places on our calendar for it. We are investing and we are doing these things. God can use us in incredible ways. Imagine a church. Imagine a people. Imagine a body of believers where iron sharpening iron friendships was what we did and how we operated. That would be a church culture that I'd want to be a part of. It would be a church that I think God could, could use in amazing ways. And so this morning I want to quickly go through a couple, a couple things. A couple things, you know, we, we talk about iron sharpening iron. With each pass of the iron, the iron gets sharper. And I want to pull out to you today three Passes three things that we can do to sharpen each other, and I mean each other by by sharpen that I sharpen you and you sharpen me. We do this together. One does not sharpen one without being sharpened. One does not get sharpened without becoming sharpened. If you're completely confused right now, uh, you're going to be less confused here in a moment. The first one is use words of life. And you, everyone just said. Oh. Sigh of relief as I put those knives down. Use words of life. The technical term for this is affirmation. But I like words of life better. The, the culture is affirmation deprived, isn't it? If you want proof of that, uh, turn on your TV one night and watch some reality shows and watch people do some crazy junk so that people around them will affirm them. I was watching a, a video on YouTube the other day of this guy in, in Metro Detroit 
who videotaped this lady at the McDonald's uh, um, drive through window. You saw this or not, but taped this lady who just gave him absolutely terrible customer service. I'm like, dude, it's McDonald's, okay, so whatever. But, you know, gave him this terrible customer service, and he, he tapes this, and he's laughing at her, making fun of her, and he puts it on YouTube, and he's got, like, millions of likes and such, and he's, like, all these views and, and things because, and people do that because our culture is affirmation-deprived. Our, our natural reaction is not to affirm. Our natural reaction is to tear people down. You want further proof? Go into Walmart sometime and look at people's T-shirts. It is an interesting study in, in culture when you go to Walmart because you see all kinds of T-shirts by people who have all kinds of very unaffirming things on their shirts, you know, like mean stuff. And I saw one the other day, and I couldn't remember what it was. And so I was like, oh, what was it? I forgot. But uh, there's so many examples of people who put stuff on their shirt to say, my life stinks and so does yours, or whatever it might be. That's what our culture is. We're not kind. We're not affirming. We're not, we're not, we don't use words of life. We oftentimes use words of death. So how do you do this? Romans chapter 15, verse 7, and Romans 14, 9 gives us Two very, very good things to do. It says, therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you that God will be given glory. Instead of snobbing, belittling, demeaning, which is default for culture, which is what we normally do, uh, we instead of those things do this, so then let us aim for harmony in the church and do what? And try to build each other up. There may be issues and problems, but see, our role is to encourage people in their walks that's closer to Christ. And again, it's easy to demean. It's normal to demean. It's culture to demean someone. If you have a bad day or a bad life, it's just normal. It just feels good. And you think about, well, why do we do this? And I think there's two quick reasons. The first one is we see our, our weakness in others. And rather than deal with it in a healthy way, we demean somebody else. I've done this. You've done this. It's just easier. Rather than deal with the problem ourselves, we project it on somebody else. And we, our, we, we take our weakness and we project it on, on somebody else. And people don't admit this, but oftentimes, negative, critical, demeaning people are also scowl-faced and miserable. And how many of you know that those people even occur in the church? And see, this is bad in and of itself, but it goes deeper. It's a symptom of dislike of yourself and a symptom of something going deeply in their lives. It's easier to look down on someone rather than help them and deal with your own faults and junk. And people like that are oftentimes unable and unwilling to actually help people emerge from this. They just have the gift of calling it out for somebody else. Hello, the world has that gift too, okay? The world has the gift of calling it out on people. We need spirit-filled people who are able to rise above culture and rise above the world and say, yes, you've got issues, but I want to help you. I want to walk with you. I want to call those things out of you. And it starts starts when we have a heart to affirm. We have a heart to lift people up. Number two, we project our strengths onto others. We don't often measure up to our high standards, so we criticize people. And we, this is illustrated if you've, I, I'm a, I, I like things that are neat and clean. I'm just, that's just how I am. And so my, my truck is normally, my truck is very clean. I keep it clean, although it's not right now because I was up north with the guys, and so it's all dirty and sandy. I'm going crazy on the way to church. I thought, oh, my truck's dirty. There's sand in it, you know. And it's like, oh, I hate that. So I want to just wash it. And so, but here's the deal is that when I go in someone else's vehicle that's filthy, my immediate reaction is to say, hmm, can't keep your car clean, huh? <laughs> Look at me because my car is spotless. Don't you, aren't you a, aren't you a, aren't you dedicated to cleanliness? Aren't you, don't you care? And so when we have a certain strength, Rather than help somebody else, we oftentimes project our strengths onto them and say, it feels good to be me because I'm great and you are not. And that plain old stinks, church. 
It stinks. And it's all full, it's all pride-filled and pride-centered. If we can learn to say, God, I'm not here to criticize. I'm not here to call down. I'm here to build people up and do what Paul instructed us to do. When we start to build in our lives and our churches and ourselves, iron sharpens iron relationships. Another way we do this as well is we, we pay attention to others. Think about this. When you pay for something, um, it, it's an investment of something valuable, right? Like if you go to the store, you buy something, you are paying because it's of value to you. So when, when we say the word pay attention, what we're saying is we're saying it's time for us to give and ascribe value to someone else or something else outside of our elves, ourselves. When we pay attention to others, not elves, ourselves, we pay attention to others, we are doing what God's called us to do. Listen, Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. It says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, but especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Now you can look at this and say, well, that's our justification for saying the world can just forget it. It's all about us and our little inclusive world, and that's all. That's not what this says. It says pay attention, do good to all people. But it does tell us to pay attention, especially the family of believers. You see, we set an example for care for one another. I'm going to give you the greatest piece of advice that you're going to hear today. Better than Oprah, better than Dr. Phil, better than whatever. And this is what it is. Uh, if you have your phone in your hand, you can pick it up right now. Here's the greatest piece of advice you're ever going to get. Put the phone down for a little bit. Right? Put the phone down and pay attention. When you, your spouse, put the phone down and pay attention. With your kids, for a few minutes, put the phone down and pay them attention. When it comes to neighbors and friends, put the phone down and pay attention. Because that person you're paying attention to is not only a person of incredible value, this is what God has called you to do. And especially when it comes to the family of believers. We're called to pay attention. Now, it's hard. I'll be honest with you. I'm busy. I don't need another thing to do. Really, I don't. I have plenty in my life to do. You don't need another thing to do. But this scripture here tells us that it is up to us to take uh, the onus on ourselves and say, it is important to me to be in community and pay attention to somebody else. See, when this scripture speaks this and says this, we oftentimes pay for what's value and what's valuable. And this is why I make no bones about it, that this church, we are moving in a direction of small groups because I believe that if we do small groups in a godly fashion, that we will be doing what these things say we should do. We're not going to get it perfect all the time. We are learning. We are growing. But I have a strong belief that this is the direction which God has called us to do. It will take us as the church to put our phones down, put our lives down, put our busyness down for a few moments a week and pay other believers' attention. You say, well, I can do that in church on Sundays. I can do that, you know, and such. But the, the truth is that this context is not what, what that's for. You need time with other believers to allow other believers to sharpen you, to speak into your lives, to allow you to take your time and allow yourself to put down your life and pay someone else attention. The truth is, is that we don't do these things. Let's be put them on our calendar. We put them in our lives and we, and, and we, 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 we take time out of our schedules to do these things. I'm asking our church to begin to consider small groups and to get involved in them. And I'm not, again, I make no bones about this. And I know I'm asking busy people to do this. But I also know that what the things in our lives we value the most are we'll make time for those things. This scripture here tells us it's not an option. You are called to pay, pay, to, to pay attention. You are called to to. to, to Pay attention to those who belong to the family of believers. And, and it's hard because for the most part, most of us have time-starved relationships. We just do. We're 
busy. We've got things going on. We're starving for time. We're starving for relation, for people to pay us attention in our lives. So, well, no one pays me attention. Well, my response to you would be this, like it always is, and here's, here you go. Well, then are you paying attention to other people in your life? Because if you're not, if, you, if your response is no one does this for me, I will tell you that investment often starts with us beginning the process and us investing in somebody else's value. We should change the time-starved relationships in, in our lives and in our hearts. It starts with us paying attention. The last one today is as Pastor Joe comes, just him, to real, play real quietly. By investing in others, by giving time, this helps us to, number three, to speak truth. Now, here's the deal. Is there's a lot of Christians out there who call themselves truth speakers, right? Who have oftentimes done more harm than good. And thankfully, the Word gives us incredible instruction as to the heart of what we're to do as Christian believers in speaking truth. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, there's several scriptures that say almost the same thing. I chose one. It says, but exhort, everyone say exhort, exhort, every, exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. That none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You've got a lot of believers that will stand up and say, you're wrong. You need to do this. You need to do that. This is wrong in your life. And they will stand and do that. And they say, well, I'm trying to help you to not find yourself in sin. But the word here for exhort is an absolutely incredible word. The Greek word here is the word perikaleo. And you're probably not a Greek scholar. I'm not either. But I took it in college. I got a C plus, And so I'm an expert in it. But no, I, I do know how to research Greek. And so the Greek word here for exhort is the word perikaleo. And this word speaks to us and shows us how we do this. When it says exhort, there's just no great English word to describe what this word, what this word says. And so you have to go back and understand the Greek. And so this word here says we need to speak truth. We need to teach people. So that's there, but it also shows us how. See, there is a thing in, in the New Testament times called a paraclete. It was a, it was, it was a person who, who was a teacher who came alongside of someone and taught them. So when, 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 this, when this word, when the writer of Hebrews writes this word, he is trying to help us to understand how, not just that we are supposed to exhort, but how to exhort. That our role is not just to stand from the front or the sidelines or whatever and yell things at people or to call people out without having relationship and without having the heart and the commitment to walk alongside of them. You've heard said before, if you're not willing to walk alongside of somebody else and teach them, then you are, not, you are not allowed and you are not able to teach. Because you are going against what Scripture tells you to do. If that's your role, if that's your calling, you are missing the boat. The word is very clear. And you think about it, that's what Jesus did. Jesus walked alongside of people. Jesus had disciples who he taught. He walked alongside of them. It wasn't just the disciples. There's hundreds, perhaps thousands of other people that Jesus taught on a consistent basis. He walked alongside of them. That's the heart of a true follower of Jesus, and that's the heart of discipleship. And frankly, the church needs more truth speakers. We just do. We need people who are not afraid to tell the truth. We're not afraid to say, you're living like that. You're living with sin. You're living. It's going to ruin your life. It's going to destroy you. It's going to take you someplace you don't want to go. We need people to come alongside of people and preach the truth and say the truth and teach the truth. We need people to do it in the heart of what Christ told us to do. We need people with the heart of a paracleo, a teacher who comes alongside of and shows. As I close today, I want to do this this morning, very, very really. I want to speak some words of life over this church. I'm telling you what, I am thankful that I get to pastor this church. 
I'm thankful for a board who is absolutely generous. If you guys knew how generous our board was, you'd be amazed how much, how men of faith they are. Their faith challenges me sometimes. They, they challenge me with some things. I, 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 you know, they, they just do. They're, they're, they're generous. They're, they're kind. It's just, I, I'm thankful to serve on a board of men that, that operate like this. I'm thankful for stories like I heard this morning of our guys being up camping and someone saying, man, guys, will you pray with me? And they, they do, and they, they find turkey oil, and they anoint the dude with turkey oil, and they get healed. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful to be in a church where, where we, are, we are sending literally thousands. I believe last year, John, did we send $56,000 to missions last year? Wasn't that what it was? Something like that, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I'm bad at numbers, so John's our numbers guy. But it, it was something like that. $56,000 last year went from this church out around the world to missions to serve in places like, uh, like, 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 the, like, like the Middle East where they are, they are rescuing human trafficking, to places, uh, people that I know that are in, in Egypt, my fr- friends that are pastoring a church in, 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 in the city of Cairo, preaching the gospel in a place where it is hard to do. We support ministries like Place of Hope in St. Cloud. We support Teen Channel. I mean, we support ministries that are making a difference in our world. $56,000 we sent out to this church last year. I'm proud of you. You gave that. I'm proud of this church for our response to things. It was so cool. This last uh, weeks ago, we had talked about how we might have a lot of people gone from uh, church on, on Labor Day weekend. I was telling our, our, our small group leaders that, and several of them said, well, I'll, I'll help. You need help, help in kids' ministry? I'll do it. Just let me know. We have ladies, especially, but some guys, but mo- many ladies who serve every single week in our kids' ministry. There's ladies that you don't even know, probably, because you're like, who's that? They've been here for years. You know why? Because they serve and disciple our kids. We have people in our church that teach my children so that when we're sitting around the, around the breakfast table on, on Tuesday morning and we're going through the, the word and my daughter says, Daddy, I know what covenant means. It's a promise between God and us. a church that when someone's hurting, and I, know, I get to know this stuff more than anybody else does because they keep it secret. They say, don't, don't tell anyone this. But there have been many times, and I'm not exaggerating, where someone has had a need in this church and someone has said, I want to give some radical amount of money. Where I'm like, what? You want to give how much? Just, will you just give it to that person? Will you just do that? I don't want anyone to know. We've had people, again, this church just recently who, with our, with our, 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 with our, our, our front lawn, who said, man, Pastor Steve, our, our front lawn could look better. Can we put sprinklers in there? And I said, well, it's not time yet. And he said, well, how about if I paid for it? Would you do it then? I said, well, that might go to the top. And he said, make it happen. And I don't want anyone to know. we got people in this church that I just, I could go on and on and on and on and on and on and on. I really could. So many stories of God's faithfulness and God ministering. I'm proud of this church. I'm proud of what you are, you are, and I'm proud of what you're becoming. I don't say that because I have to. I say that because I mean it this morning. We're called to connect people to Jesus and help them grow. We're called. It's simple for people to find and follow Jesus. My heart's cry as a church body, is that this is what happens in this church. That it's not just a thing we talk about, but a thing that we put, we put teeth behind and we do. If you're a connection group leader, if you would stand across this room right now, if you, if you would, you're a connection group leader, please stand. Many are here, some are not here today and such, but I want you guys to give these people a hand this morning. And I will tell you that I am proud of each one of these people. Again, some people aren't, you guys can sit down. Some are not able to be here today. They're gone or whatever. It's all kinds of reasons. But um, I'm proud of this team of people. 
Because we are, as a church, embarking on something brand new, and that is connection groups. We are embarking on a new thing within our church where this is what happens on a consistent basis here on, sun, on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And I'm not going to take much more time, but what we're working on building is a culture that does this. That where we are iron sharpening iron relationships, we are planting seeds for that to happen. I've told our leaders, so I, what I want you to do is plant those seeds and see if God can't do that in our church. Can you imagine if there are nine groups of people in this church who are spending time in a weekly basis, who are reading the word together, discussing it together, and are praying together. Can you imagine? That is iron sharpens iron relationships. And I make no bones about it. I want you in it too. Not because it makes us feel better. Because if our church can have this happening on a consistent basis, we're doing this on a weekly basis, the water level in our church is going to rise of all kinds of things. And I believe God's going to use us to do some incredible things in this area when all of us band together and do what the scripture says, iron sharpening iron. Would you stand across this room today? Let's pray. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus. Lord Jesus, I love you. Lord, I worship you today, Lord Jesus. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you, God, for where we have been. And Lord, I thank you for where we are going. We have a place we're going. Lord, we have a spot we're going in, and I thank you for it. Lord, as we endeavor to make it simple for people to find and follow you, Lord, let that be our heart's cry. Let it be our culture. Let it permeate our lives and our spirits and our hearts and our prayers and everything. Lord, I pray that God, that would be the case of this church. That, Lord, our connection groups, Lord, would be bands of brothers and sisters getting together, Lord, holding each other's, other's arms up. Lord, standing for each other. Lord, discovering together, praying together, seeing what you would do, Jesus. Lord, I pray for healings to happen in homes. I pray for deliverance. I pray for things to happen in homes that God we could never possibly imagine because you are leading the charge in this, Jesus, and we have followed you. But Lord, saying yes. Lord, I pray over our church that you would continue to build us into this kind of a people. Lord, because we have a job to do. Lord, to bring you to this world. Lord, I pray over that. In Jesus' mighty name, everyone said.